Uh, this is so important that when we see things that just don't seem right, the reason they sometimes tell us that in our hearts that this isn't right is because we have this foundation in God's Word. But without the foundation of God's Word, then how will we know the just from the unjust or the truth from falsehood? Paul knew that it took real faith to be a real believer. And he said they had a form of knowledge and truth. Their faith was not real. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. I titled it from the passage, The Circumcision of the Heart. Well, Paul continues to build his argument to bring indictment on both the Jew and the Gentile, but he specifically names his Jewish brothers here in the end of chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. So today we're going to look at the circumcision of the heart. And I have three points. Blind guides and false lights, verses 17 through 20. Do what I say, not what I do, verses 21 through 24. And to keep or not to keep, verses 25 through 29. Go ahead and read verses 17 through 20, our first point. Blind guides and false lights, and I'll open us in prayer. Indeed, you who are called a Jew and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, And you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of foolish, of the foolish, and a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. And Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only, the Holy Spirit who has inspired Paul to pen these words, Nearly 2,000 years ago, now, Lord, let your spirit work in our hearts to receive that which you have for us this day, your church, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we find here blind guides and false lights. And in verses 1 through 16, while Paul perhaps addressed both the unbelieving moral Gentiles and the unbelieving Jews, here we find clear distinction in verse 17 as he says, Indeed, you who are called a Jew. So he's now pinpointing 
definitely pinpointing his Jewish brethren and addressing them, the unbelieving Jewish brethren. You know, recently this week I saw a picture uh, advertising through Facebook. Don't you love the Facebook advertisements that you see these days? Because they scare me half the time. Because I'll realize I was just talking about that to somebody and suddenly it's appearing in my Facebook feed. They're listening to what we're talking about. And they already know I'm a pastor by my communication and the people and ministries that I like. So there was an advertisement of a picture of Jesus instructing his 12 disciples in an open field that I saw this week. And uh, something we might expect from the Gospels. However, in this picture, Jesus was standing at a whiteboard and the disciples were all sitting at a student's desk with open scrolls before them. Actually, I believe they showed one making a paper airplane. I'm thinking it might have been Judas there. Not sure. Didn't have name tags on the 12. But the caption of the picture was, Jesus didn't make disciples this way. Why should we? Now, I'm bringing that up because here we find in this first point, we find that although they're blind guides and false lights, the Jewish people knew the word of God. They've been raised in Judaism, as were the disciples. They may not have sat in classrooms with Jesus like we do today in our seminaries and schools, but it's not that they did not have schooling as a child growing up. I believe that they knew the word of God. All you have to do is read Peter's first message in Acts chapter 3, and you can see that he had a clear handle on the word of God. He brought in some obscure passages from the Psalms and not even uh, in the same chapter, separated by several chapters and related them to Jesus Christ. Yes, he had the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's work is to bring to remembrance those things which we have learned. And I think it's much like Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul wrote, but you must continue in the things which you have learned, being assured of, knowing from whom we have learned them, and that from childhood that you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I dare to say that the disciples did have their classroom time there at some synagogue where they learned the word of God as children, just as Paul is recounting to his Jewish brethren here. And they were a people who uh, rested on the law. They made their boast in God, knowing his will and approving of the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. They had been instructed in the law, much like our kids right now in Sunday school. They're being instructed in the word of God. But we know that just having the instruction doesn't mean that it actually gets into our hearts. And so there can be a form of knowledge and a form of the word, but it may not lead to true salvation for the individual. And like the 12 disciples and Timothy, the unbelieving Jews have been raised to know the word of God from childhood. In fact, they rested upon the things that they had learned. They even made their boasting God, claiming to know his will while approving the ways of Judaism. 
All Jews were schooled in Judaism, but it did not mean that they truly believed. James says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So we can know to do good, but we have a choice to whether to do what is right or to do what is wrong. But let me also point out that Paul, I think he's sliding his Jewish brethren in that he said, you who are called by the Jews, which is something that he builds on throughout the remainder of chapter two. They were called Jews, but Paul did not consider them to be truly Jewish, as we'll see as we go through the passage. Verses 19 and 20, they had confidence in themselves. He said, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. The unbelieving Jews felt that they were guides to those who were blind, lights to those who were in, the, in darkness, instructors of the foolish, teachers of babes. But Paul rightly condemns them as merely having the form of knowledge and truth. They didn't really take hold of the word of God, that it transformed their hearts, transformed their lives. Jesus said of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 14, they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. We need to know who we're following in the day and age that we live in today. Really, today we find that people are challenging the very word of God and saying that the word of God needs to get updated to meet the day and age that we live in. And that if we don't kind of update the traditions and the teachings of the word of God, that the church itself will soon not exist. But I personally believe that we need to be a people who look to the Word of God and view it as part of that ancient path and the truths that we are to be walking upon. So often we get misdirected in this life and sometimes it's people leading us on trails that are not the true way of faith to have a foundation that's built upon the Word of God, the importance of reading through God's Word and learning what Scripture says in itself. Uh, this is so important that when we see things that just don't seem right, the reason they sometimes tell us that in our hearts that this isn't right is because we have this foundation of God's Word. But without the foundation of God's Word, then how will we know the just from the unjust, or the truth from falsehood. Paul knew that it took real faith to be a real believer. And he said they had a form of knowledge and truth. Their faith was not real. Concerning those of the circumcision, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1.10, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers. And then he concluded saying in verse 16 of Titus chapter 1, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. And even in our churches today, we have blind guides and false lights, those who have a knowledge of God's word, yet they do not 
know the Word of God. One of my friends out in California, he went up to his aunt's memorial service up in the San Francisco area. He's the pastor of a Calvary Chapel in California. But as a family member, they asked him to share some memories, five minutes, about his aunt and family memories, I guess, that he would have concerning his aunt. And he told me that this was taking place last week, asked for me to pray for him as he did this. He was a little bit nervous, about three or 400 people at the funeral. And he said, as I walked into the church, they had flags with rainbows hanging. It was a Unitarian church. They accept all religions and the rainbows. I said, well, you must have been doing a teaching series on Noah's Ark in the church that day. And no, they were not. They had, have hijacked our rainbow to apply it to something that is not godly whatsoever. He did well. He shared about the family. He said, I shared my notes, and then I stopped. He said, it may have seemed like a minute or more. He goes, I actually want to listen to it because what I prayed to the Lord is as far as sharing faith with this people, I want it to be from you. And he said, I didn't put anything in my notes. I just wrote down my memories of my aunt. And then he relied upon the Lord and shared the word of God with them briefly. And nobody stood up and walked out, which is a very good thing. But in our churches today, we have blind guides and false lights. They seem to have the knowledge of God in word, but indeed they are not walking in the ways of God. But we need to remember that it takes real faith to be a real believer in Jesus Christ. Do what I say, not what I do, verses 21 through 24. I'll read the context. Verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Or do you say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. I titled this, Do What I Say, Not What I Do, because that is pretty familiar to so many of us. We, it's one of those uh, parental practices that we share with our children every once in a while when they catch us doing something that we had told them not to do, perhaps. We have used it. Uh, the free dictionary says of that phrase, trying to explain the meaning. We know the meaning. But model yourself after my instructions, not my actions. And the phrase implies that the speaker is imperfect and makes mistakes. One should follow their advice, but not imitate them. Remember that at the end of this point. But not imitate them. It's going to tie to a verse of scripture that I have for you. You teach, but you do not do. So in verses 21 and 22... They taught others, they taught the truth, they taught them how they should live in the truth, but they did not walk in the truth themselves. And although they could teach God's word and they could do it chapter and verse, they did not walk in obedience to God's word. And Paul listed out three examples for us. He listed out, first of all, robbery, which is the eighth commandment. 
in Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. On Wednesday evening, we looked at this verse from Isaiah. It kind of gives us a picture of the Jewish people in that uh, before they went into captivity. Isaiah 3, 14 and 15, it says, The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard, the vineyard referring to the uh, Israelis, the people, you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing? It's a word that means to beat to pieces. And this is God's indictment against Israel. You are beating my people to pieces. My people in grinding, it means to grind meal. You're grinding their faces, the faces of the poor. And we know even to this day that people are taking advantage of other people. I got an email and three phone calls this week. I've, I've won the lottery. I'm rich now, $5 million. I don't have the $5 million, of course, but this is what the phone caller was saying to me. I only answered one of them. I figured we're doing some uh, prep work for the church and stuff. I've been calling about cheers and and have a lot of phone calls out there, so I'm not recognizing all the numbers that's calling me back. And it's one of those things, a lot of times you see the caller ID and it's like, I don't know that number, they can leave a message. But now I'm picking them up thinking it might be important, I need to check the call. And so I checked it out and it was actually a call afterwards from Jamaica. And apparently they make like $300 million a year scamming people in the United States in these lottery scams. So I don't think I won the lottery. I really don't. I hung up on the guy. I didn't let it go any further. It was waiting for me at the UPS. It's just kind of an odd phone call. You know, that doesn't even make sense. If they want to deliver to me, let them deliver it to me. I'm home. I wasn't home at the time, but robbery. They were robbing people. The Eighth Commandment. Adultery. The Seventh Commandment. Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. Ezekiel tells of Israel's great past depravity in this area. In Ezekiel 22:11, one commits abomination with his neighbor's wife, another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law, another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. And so Ezekiel telling of uh, the adultery, the fornication that was being committed in his day and age with a neighbor's wife, his daughter-in-law, his father's, so a stepsister basically is what he's saying there. And then he gave the example of idolatry. This uh, takes commandments one and two, Exodus 20, verses three and four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And during Jesus's wilderness temptation, well, Satan had tempted him, and Jesus responded in the second temptation, saying, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only you shall serve. And thus Jesus reminding Satan of the first two commandments, that he wasn't going to bow down and worship Satan. Sadly, Paul's unbelieving brethren often failed in all of these points. This reminded me, the robbery, adultery, and idolatry reminded me of perhaps one of the famous codes of conduct that came out of the religious realm in 1948. 
in a hotel room in Modesto, California. It's known as the Modesto Manifesto. And it was Billy Graham alongside with his associates, George Beverly Shea, Grady Wilson, and Cliff Barrels, that they had seen a lot of the hypocrisy that was taking place with the tent meetings and evangelism of their day and age. And they wanted to make sure that they didn't fall into the same categories of sin that they had seen other spiritual leaders uh, do so in their day and age. And so I've heard this summarized in this way, and this is what it reminded me of. Three points Paul gave us, uh, robbery, adultery, and idolatry. And this is how I've heard the Modesto Manifesto summarized. Don't touch the money, and don't touch the women, and don't touch the glory. Now, I looked up Billy Graham Center in Wheaton College. They summarized this Modesto Manifesto in this way. From early in his ministry, Graham and his associates were sensitive to public perception of traveling preachers. The figure of a fictional con man, Elmer Gantry, still loomed large in frequent criticism of evangelists and revival meetings. And so early as 1948, Billy Graham and his associates devised a philosophy of ministry, later known as the Modesto Manifesto which outlined their personal pledge to evade the moral ambiguity scandals that previous evangelists had fell into, specifically the Modesto Manifesto, committed to avoid any appearance of financial abuse, to shun even the appearance of sexual improprieties. Graham made it a point not to travel, this is in parentheses, or meet alone with any woman other than his wife, to cooperate with any local churches willing to participate in united evangelism efforts, and to be honest and reliable in their publicity, reporting the results. Honest and reliable. Sadly, many unbelieving Jews of Paul Day had the practice of touching the money, the women, the glory. Perhaps they should have formed their own Masada Manifesto, it would have been beneficial for them. I am convinced that it is the smartest thing that we could possibly do is to stay true to the ancient path, the path that God laid and set before us, the path that Jesus walked in our behalf when he went to the cross, where he offered his life upon the cross, where he paid the price of our sin that we might be saved, and as a result of our salvation then, we live not under the letter of the law, we want to understand the law to know how we should walk, but we live under the spirit of the law, knowing that God doesn't measure the outward appearance, but he measures our heart. But let me say this, that what the Lord is doing in our heart should shine outwardly, that other people can know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So we have seen the circumcision of the heart, Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. Blind guides and false lights. I reminded us today that it takes real faith to be a real believer, especially here in this world we live in today. And our second point, do what I say, not what I do, verses 21 and 24. I reminded us that we shouldn't just teach the truth, we need to 
live the truth. Let's have the confidence to say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And then verses 25 through 29, to keep or not to keep, we're reminded that true circumcision is an issue of the heart. Father, thank you for your word that you have given us today here in Romans chapter 2. And I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, I know that when the word of God is taught, that it can bring conviction to our hearts. And Lord, if you are convicting us today, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts today. Conviction is not necessarily to bring judgment. Conviction is to bring a response that forgiveness might be able to come. But Lord, if there is no response, no repentance, eventually we become like the unbelieving Jews here, our own consciences being seared as with a hot iron. So I pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to receive that which your spirit desires for this church, for us as a whole, but as individuals as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today. And let God